Yes. We had her go in the middle of the summer. She's all right. If you guys would grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Actually, let's recap real quickly where we were last time. So before we go to Ephesians 4, turn to James 1 and just remind ourselves, because today really is going to be part two of our last time together. So in our last session, we dealt with sin, the process of sin, um, and temptation. Today, my goal is to move from that to how do we fight sin and win the battle. I felt like I left you hanging last time, uh, so it's been, uh, hopefully you've been all right these last few weeks. My fingers are but, a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm excited to dive into Ephesians 4. But let's look at James 1, 13, and just remind ourselves of where we've been. So, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So we walked through that progression last time. First of all, obviously God does not tempt us. We're never to blame God for our sin. Um, and that temptation actually comes from our own flesh, as each one is enticed and led away by the strong desires we talked about that are within us, uh, the desires for the, for the forbidden, that part of us that is yet to be redeemed, the flesh. And uh, we, we walk through in verse 15, once lust has conceived, so it starts with that strong desire, but once you've made up your mind like a fish after a lure, I'm going to go get that. Lust has conceived. It gives birth then to sin, and sin brings forth death. So we walk through that pattern, but now I want to walk through what do we do. So we understand how temptation comes. We understand where it comes from and that it's coming from inside of us. So how do we kill it? How do we win the battle? So turn to Ephesians 4 now. And this passage and this concept has been one that has marked my own life as far as being the most important truth in my own battle for fighting sin. And uh, if it's not something that's already in, in, uh, in your life and the way you live, I pray that after today it will be. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, and really I want to begin in verse uh, 20, but let's go to verse 17 just for the, to get in the flow of the context. <clears throat> and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. He says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they've become callous. They, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, then in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupt in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Let's stop there. We'll finish the chapter in a moment. Let me set the context. He begins talking in verse 17 about those who are still lost, 
dead in their sins, um, living in darkness, darkened in their understanding. But then he turns and says in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. He's turning his attention from the lost and how they live their lives to us as believers and how we're to live our lives. And then he lays out for us a pattern. We call this the process of change. That is, how is it that when I, I'm dealing with sin that I actually change, that I can see true heart change take place? Paul lays out a pattern for us to follow and to put in place in our lives in this passage. Verse 20, you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. And then he lays out, beginning in verse 22, a three-step plan for change. Verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. That's part one, which is being corrupt in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's part two. And put on the new self, part three, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, he begins with verse 22, in reference to your former manner of life. That is the way you used to live, the sins that used to dominate you before you came to Christ. That, in your Christianity, in your Christian life, still raise their ugly head and temptation to draw you back into those sins. In reference to that, the first thing that you have to do in the battle with sin, he says, is lay aside the old self. Uh, easy way to remember that is put off. To put off. Put off that sinful pattern. That word lay aside is the same word in Greek used for just like taking off an article of clothing, taking off a jacket and throwing it away from you. The idea is get, get it completely off of you. Take that off. And then secondly... He says, renew your mind, verse 23. A lot of people, when it comes to the battle of, with sin, they stop at verse 22. They spend all of their time trying to just stop sinning, putting off. Stop that. Don't think that. Don't say that. Don't act like that. I shouldn't do that. You know, it's, it, that, that is, that's the whole battle of sin in their mind. Don't, 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 don't. The problem is that's only step one of the process. And what gets so frustrating is people really are trying. They're putting forth effort. They, I don't want to do that. Stop, stop, stop. They find themselves doing that sin again, and they just get frustrated and despondent. I'm just, I don't know. Am I even a Christian? How can I, how can I do this? What do I do? Well, <clears throat> the issue is they're stopping at step one and not moving on to the rest of what Paul says. And if all we do is live, stop, 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 don't do that. Don't stop that. Don't think that way. Um, we will constantly be failing in the battle with sin. So we have to move on to step two and step three. So the first thing you do is put off. But then you move on to verse um, 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So not only are we to put off that sin, but we're to bring our minds then back to truth. So think of it this way. You're presented with a temptation. That temptation is tempting you to do something that is sinful, therefore it's not in accordance with truth. You put that off, you immediately turn from that sin and bring your mind back to the truth of Scripture. You renew your mind with the Word of God. And so, okay, that's not true. That's not what God would have me do. Reminding yourself, what does God say? What does the Word say? That's the renewal of the mind. Bringing your mind back to the truth and meditating upon the truth. But even that is not the end of the process. 
And that leads to step three. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. He's talking about the fact that we now have a new nature. We are tempted in our flesh to go back to our old patterns of life, but we now as Christians have this new nature. And he says, after having put off and renewed your mind with the truth, you've got to actively put on, in the sense that, living in accordance with your new nature. Do the things that God says to do. The temptation comes to do the thing that's evil. Put that off. Bring your mind back to the truth. What does God's Word say? And then actively do the thing that God's Word says. Um, this, is the, this is the pattern to win the battle with sin. Now, in, in one sense, it's pretty simple. Put off, renew your mind, put on. <clears throat> simple to understand, but it is difficult to do in, in reality. So I want to talk about how we do that. The, way, the, the best way to talk about this is to look at the, the rest of the passage because Paul gives us several examples of what this looks like. And what you have to understand is that God's desire for us and His command for us as Christians is not simply not to sin, right? God didn't save you just so that you won't sin. He saved you that you might be made new and walk in the righteousness of Christ, right? To be conformed to the godliness or the, to the character of Christ. And so He saved you for, for the positive reason of actually transforming you into someone who is righteous, actively righteous. So if all we do is think of our sanctification as trying not to sin, we're, we're missing the goal. The goal is to actually become righteous. So in each of these examples that he gives, I want you to notice Paul doesn't stop with just the negative. He moves to the positive of what we must do in, in the place of that sin. So verse 25, he gives the example of lying. Let's say you're dealing with the sin of lying. What do you do? Therefore, laying aside falsehood, so put off that sin of lying, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This is what he's saying. It's not enough for the Christian to be content with stopping their pattern of lying. The standard of God is to have a mouth that is characterized and filled with truth. You see that? He says... Not only do I want you to lay aside falsehood, I want you to actively speak truth, each one of you. So the mouth that used to be known as a lying mouth, that no one could trust what came out of your mouth, now is transformed to the guy that everyone's going to to say, hey, what was the, what was the, help us in our dispute, what was really true? Because they know that you will tell them the truth. That, that is the character change that God produces in the life of a Christian that's the mindset that we have to have. I'm not just trying not to lie. My goal is to focus actively on filling my mind with the truth. And of course, in doing that, I'm not lying, right? But the focus of our attention has to be on what we're filling our, our mouths with, um, not just on what we're trying not to say. Think of another. My favorite example is actually in verse 28. In verse 26, he gives the example of anger as well. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger or give the devil an opportunity. What he's saying is <clears throat> deal with your, your sin right away when you're tempted towards anger. Deal with it. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let the end of the day come before you have dealt with that issue. Don't let that <coughs> anger becomes a, um, a temptation towards all sorts of other sin. And he's saying don't let it have an opportunity for that. Kill that and deal with it right away. Reconcile with that person. 
Now, verse 28, I, I love this one. It deals with the sin of stealing, of theft. What is the person who deals with this sin supposed to do? Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer. So he's got to put that off. But rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who is in need. Notice how radically different his life is to be. Not only is he to stop stealing, he's to get a job, says he must labor, work hard, performing with his hands what is good, and then he's to do that so he'll have something to share and give away with other people. So the one that was known for taking from people is freely giving of his possessions that he has worked for and earned to bless other people. You see the total transformation? So many times I think we get trapped in that pattern of take the the sin of stealing, of just being content with, I don't steal anymore. But that's not, that's not, that's only part of the process, right? I don't lie anymore. I used to lie, but I don't lie anymore. But is your mouth, are you known as one who has a mouth characterized by truth? Are you now not only stealing, but generously giving away your hard-earned goods to benefit and bless other people? Um... Next, in verse 29, he deals with the way we speak. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. So put off anything, any filthy talk, any cursing, anything that would be sinful speech. Put that off. But only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So you see the transformation there. Not only are we to stop having mouths filled with filth, but we're to be known as those who use words actively to build up other people, to edify people. And I love how he says, uh, according to the need of the moment, that idea that we're to be known as people who care enough about other people, that we're thoughtful enough about our words, and that we're careful with them, so that we choose the right words that fit that moment, that will build that person up in whatever circumstance we're dealing with. At the end of the chapter, verses 31 and 32, he makes a whole list of other sins in verse 31 and then encounters that in verse 32 with a list of virtues that should go in their place. 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. But then in their place, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You see the transformation there. He never stops with simply, don't do this. He says, don't do this, but actively do this. God is is concerned with what we're characterized by, that we actually are being conformed into the image of Christ. Now, this is not the only place that we see this idea. Uh, If you've if you're still going to first service and listening to Tom's messages in Romans, Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. An emphasis on the renewal of the mind. Turn to Psalm 1, the psalm that we read Sunday, and let's think about this for a moment. Notice what characterizes, well, notice, first of all, negatively, what doesn't characterize this man. 
And then positively, what does characterize this man? Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not, here's the negative, what he doesn't do, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So he has put off those influences of sin in verse 2, but positively, his delight is in the law of the Lord, that is the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That renewal of the mind process is not something you do, you wake up, you renew your mind right after you wake up, and you're good for the day, right? That this process is the process that happens every waking moment of every day. We're constantly tempted, both externally and internally, by our own flesh. And at the moment that that temptation arises, we have to put this into practice. Immediately recognize it, put it off, renew your mind with the truth, and then choose to walk in accordance with the truth. And then five seconds later, when the new temptation comes, you put off, you renew your mind, and you choose to walk in the truth. And you do it over and over and over again. Notice the result in Psalm 1 of this man who meditates in the word day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. This is a man who bears good fruit. He is steadfast. It says he's like a, a tree firmly planted. And he's planted by streams of water so that he has this constant flow of all the, the nutrients that he needs to grow. And the result of that is he bears fruit. Um, turn to Psalm 119.97. Psalm 119.97. Here the psalmist writes, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Notice over and over again the correlation between the meditation of his mind on the word and the result of that in his life of both gaining wisdom and living a transformed life in regards to sin because of his meditation on the word verse 101 i have restrained my feet from every evil way that i may keep your word he says i haven't turned aside from your ordinances for you yourself have taught me how is it how is it that god has taught him because verse 97 oh how i love your law it's my meditation all the day his mind is continually in the truth and in the scripture. So let me ask you a question, and this is not to answer, this is just to ponder, but how are you doing in memorizing and meditating upon scripture as a regular activity in your life? If we're going to meditate on the truth every day, 
that certainly includes reading the Bible in the mornings or in the evenings or whenever you have your normal Bible time. But it can't end there, right? That's certainly not what he means in, when he says, it is my meditation all the day. Rocky hit on this some at our men's event. And uh, when he told me, when he gave me the idea of what he wanted to talk about, I said, that'd be great, because this is, it's right in the vein of where I'm going with our discipleship group, thinking about these things. That the godly man has a godly mind. And the reason is because God has designed it to be so. It, we see it in our passage in, in Ephesians 4. We see it all throughout the Psalms. Um, we see that the men of God who are characterized by godliness throughout the Scripture were men who were, had a deep knowledge of the Word of God and love for the Word of God, whose lives were characterized by meditating upon the truth and then living in accordance with it. Notice the affection that the psalmist has for the Word in verse 103 of Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. This is not a man who meditates on the scripture because it is a, a duty that he must fulfill, right? It's a man who loves the word of God, who delights in it. And because he delights in it, just like the man in, in Psalm 1, that bears fruit in his life. That doesn't mean it's not work. It doesn't mean that you don't have to put forth effort. Um, you do. Scripture memory and scripture meditation are, are disciplines that we have to cultivate. But what's the impetus the, 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 behind that desire? It is a genuine love for Christ that boils over into a love for his word because it is here that we, we learn from him. We are instructed by God through, by, through the spirit as we read and understand accurately the word of God. So with, with that in mind, Let's talk about our process again, and how does this practically play out in your life? And we'll walk through several examples together in a minute. But I just want to walk through the process again and tell you what I mean when I say renew your mind or put off and put on. So picture yourself in your normal routine, and we talked about last time that each of us have our own lusts. There are typically at least one or two things that are more regularly tempting for you than others in the area of sin. And those come at you throughout the day, pretty much every day, pretty much all the time. They, they are always there. What do you do? Well, every time that sin raises its ugly head, that desire, I mean, very moment, the very moment that even the shadow of temptation appears in your mind, that is where you must begin the process. If you allow yourself to dwell on and flirt with that sin and then try to enact the process, you're going to find yourself failing time and time again because you've already chosen. Remember James 1. This is why these tie together. If you flirt with the process, you're like that fish that's just kind of sitting there looking at the bait and you're kind of looking, well, it is, it is not a nice bait. I'm, going to, you know, I'm not eating it, but it's, it does look really good. Eventually, that fish is going to find himself on that hook. As soon as the bait enters your point of view, that is where you must begin the process. And you put that off. Now, I know what that is. I've seen that bait. About five seconds ago, I saw it. And then I saw it five seconds before that. And I'll see it again in, in five more seconds. It, that bait, that's the same bait that always comes by. As soon as that bait hits, um, that's when I put off. That is, I take my attention immediately away from that temptation. And I bring to mind the word of God. 
That's the renewal part. I, I mean, I intentionally bring to mind a passage or a truth about God. And what I try to do is each morning, in, during my morning Bible time, I choose my verse for the day. <clears throat> Sometimes I'm memorizing. Right now I'm memorizing Colossians 3, so I'll take a verse a day. Whatever verse that is, I begin working on it. And, and then that will be my verse of the day. So that's my go-to verse for that day. It can be your favorite verse. It doesn't matter what it is, but it needs to be something from the Scripture. And it needs to be a choice. You need to have a plan or a battle plan. That's going to be my verse or my truth for today. Maybe it's an attribute of God, one of his characteristics. I want to dwell on God's mercy today. I want to dwell on the sovereignty of God today. Whatever it is, but you have to choose it. You can't just say, well, I'll think of something. It's too, it's too fast. The temptation comes on you when you're not expecting it, and you have to have an immediate go-to, this is what I'm going to meditate on today. So that temptation comes at the very moment you recognize it, you intentionally divert your attention away from that and go to your go-to verse that you're meditating on. And so you quote your verse, and then you don't just quote it. So it's, the Scripture's not a rabbit foot, right? You pull it out and kind of rub it and everything goes away. That's basically what you're doing if all you do is just quote a verse really quickly in your mind. That's not what the psalmist is doing. He says, it's my meditation all the day. So, if you take uh, if you take a verse, let's say that you want to memorize Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Well, what, what, what just, that, just take that one section and pull that up. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And begin to pray that back to the Lord. God, I know that I have a tendency at times to use my mouth sinfully. God, help me not to do that. Help my mouth to be characterized by truth. And help me to speak in a way that truly edifies people. Help me to be sensitive to the way I speak. Now my mind is it's totally away from whatever the sin was, and I'm thinking on this truth. And then a few minutes later, when the temptation comes again, I bring it up. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification. God, help, help me to be one who's known as someone that edifies other people, that builds them up with truth, not with flattery, but with words that are right and true according to your word. And then you go on about your day. So you begin to walk in the truth you're putting on as you renew your mind with the Scripture. When we think about sexual sin, the, the, the call of God is not, is not simply that we don't have sexual thoughts, it's that we have a mind that is characterized by purity, right? How do you do that? Well, you do that by every single time, even the shadow of a, a sinful thought comes into your mind, you recognize it and put it off at that moment and divert your mind to the truth and keep it there until the temptation subsides. And then you... That's what it looks like to walk in the truth. Because now I'm, I'm not filling my mind with junk. I'm filling my mind with truth. And I'm actively walking according to that. Um, that's what the process looks like every day, all day. But you have to have a game plan. Now, let's talk about this uh, at a little deeper level at this point. When he says put off, it's really important that we understand... What is it that I need to put off? Because if I'm, if I'm putting off the wrong thing, or I'm trying not to do the thing that I'm putting my effort towards not doing is really not the key issue, then it's not really going to help me. 
And what happens, I think of it this way, what happens a lot of time is I'm going to use, let's take the sin of pornography. Guy comes to my office, he's dealing with the sin of pornography. I want to kill this sin. What often happens is you look at your tree and there's pornography, the fruit of pornography is there. So you think, I want to put off and put on, so I'm going to cut off that apple and I'm going to tape on this apple, right? I'm going to tape on this holy righteous apple onto where the old apple was of pornography. Uh, the problem is that apple comes from within the tree, right? The tree is producing that apple based upon something within the tree. So first of all, the tree has to become, you have to be a Christian. But even as a Christian, as you see sin popping up on your tree, producing the fruit of sin, you have to get back down to the root of the issue. What is it that is really bringing me to the point of producing the fruit? Pornography. Because if you try to start at that level, pornography is a decision that starts way before a person actually gives in to that sin. Most sins are. There's a process that takes place in the heart and the mind that is the way precedes the actual fruit of that sin. And our job is not to be distracted just by the, the apple, but go deeper than that and say, what is it? What are the sins I'm committing on the way? If I can kill the sins that are on the way, then I'm never going to produce the apple in the first place. And what will happen is a guy, for instance, let's take the sin of pornography, they allow themselves to, to steal glances all day long from the women that they pass in their lives, uh, from billboards, from women at work, from wherever it is. They're constantly stealing glances. And that builds up over time. And, or, or they're meditating, dwelling on the woman that they saw at the store or wherever it is, and they're building up, they're, they're committing those sins internally so it reaches a point where that's not enough, that I need to act out on that, and then the sin of pornography or other sins are produced. But then you say, ah, I just can't kill this pornography problem. Well, that's because you're losing the battle way back here. And if you want to put off pornography, what you really have to be putting off are those small battles throughout the smaller, more frequent battles throughout the day. And when you're killing those, then you're not going to find yourself nearly as often even thinking or wanting to go and look up something uh, that's inappropriate. But we have to get to the root cause of our sin. How do you do that? Well, a couple of ideas Something that I try to do is I start asking myself questions. Questions like this. What was it that I wanted and was denied? Right? Sometimes, in a, particularly when you sin interpersonally with other people, uh, you, you lose your temper, whatever it is. The person struggles with a foul mouth. They, so they, give, they curse, they lie. In any of those sins, what was it that at that moment that I wanted and was denied. Or another way to think of it, what did I think I deserved and was denied? Another question, did I sin in order to, to divert attention away from an inner reality I didn't want to admit? Fear, insecurity, lack of knowledge. Sometimes we will respond in anger or be harsh with people because maybe they ask a question or say something and it gets close to a nerve 
on the inside that we don't want to uncover. And so we react to divert attention away from that subject. We react quickly with a biting tongue because I don't want to admit, I don't actually know the answer to that question. Or that was a good argument and I don't know how to defend it. And so we sin, we sin really because we're diverting attention away from another issue. That often helps, that helps me a lot just to ask some of those simple questions. What was it that I thought I deserved and I was denied? Was it respect? Was it, you know, some recognition? Um, you know, you, you, don't, you don't get the promotion and so you lash out at your boss or you talk badly about your boss behind their back or got it. What, what is it that you, was it a vacation? Was it, what, what is it that you thought you deserved and you were denied? Because that will help you see the issue in your heart where the, where the problem really lies that is producing the fruit of the external sin that you're trying to kill. So let's walk through a couple of these sin issues that we as, as men, just as sinners in general, can, can deal with. I brought up the issue of pornography earlier because that's one that with men especially that it comes up frequently that I deal with in counseling. I thought it would be helpful to walk through that particular sin in more detail. So when we think about pornography and the root of that sin, the, when you get down to it, at some level, there is an element of selfishness and self-love at the root of that sin. So, pornography is a very selfish sin. It's, it is all about me satisfying myself when I want to in the way that I want. And, and so if, while there is a sexual sin tied to it, if you just think of it as a sexual sin and don't realize that behind it is really this self-love um, and a lift exalting of self, then you'll find yourself really not ever getting to the heart of what that issue really is. And so... When a person's dealing with pornography, I begin to deal with them not only on how to do the things like putting things on their computer to block things and things like that. Those are important things to do. But I begin to deal with the issue of selfishness in general. Because the, a person who is tends towards pornography will have a pattern in other areas of a lack of self-control. Of giving themselves what they want when they want it. And that is a pattern, and that's a pattern that doesn't ever stay in a little box. It's, you'll find it in other areas, whether it's uh, entertainment or, or food or, or whatever it is. There will be other things where they live the way they want to live. And pornography becomes an outward way of... It's interesting. People deal with it at the best and the worst, on their best and worst days. When they have a real big high, they get the promotion at work, or they do something really good, um, there's that tendency and that selfishness to say, well, I've earned something, right? And so they use that selfishness in, in, to justify sin there. Or when they have the worst day, woe is me, you know, I, I'm just a nobody and life's going to be terrible all the time. And they use that, which really is that self-loathing is pride and self-love. It's I didn't get what I deserved, or I'm, you know, I should do better, but I didn't, and because of a high opinion of self, and they use that to justify the sin. A, a general attitude of selfishness or self-serving uh, often leads to justifying sexual sin. 
So the way that you win when it comes to pornography uh, or any sexual sin is to, to win the small battles, like I mentioned, that, are, that happen throughout the day before you ever get to that point, both in the area of sexuality and in the area of selfishness. Check yourself with, do I, am I really preferring others, or am I always trying to work the circumstance to get, get it to turn out the way I want it to turn out? Do I really deferring? Do I really consider others as more important than myself? Uh, when it, on the sexual side, for instance, if, if lust, sexual lust is something that you deal with, which most men do at different levels, let me encourage you to think of the battle in the smallest ways. For instance, you're driving down the road and you see there's a jogger on the horizon that's jogging your direction. They're far enough away that you can't really tell even if it's a man or a woman, but you know someone's jogging near you. Well, most people, most ladies don't, not all, but a lot of ladies don't jog in clothes that are necessarily the most modest clothes. So, so I, I kind of turn it into um, an opportunity to say what my goal is, I don't even want to know if that's a man or a woman. I'll keep my, I want to pass that jogger and never even know if it was a man or a woman. Just keep my eyes on the road, turn my mind to truth, begin meditating on the truth until I'm past that person. There are certain places in Dallas that are all, there's always terrible billboards. You know, there are certain places maybe in your commute that there's that billboard is always a sexual innuendo or something. You know it's coming. It's on your route. As soon as it gets close, our goal is to not know what the picture is or to know what the slogan is. I'm gonna and so you get to that bend and you immediately begin meditating on the truth as you come around the bend. Um, before you come to church on Sundays, begin praying. God, help me to think about the women there as sisters in Christ and to be a blessing to them and really not to focus on, you don't need to know what they're wearing or how they did their hair that day. Or You see, those are the little things that you can justify. Uh, I was just I was just taking note, you know, I wasn't. And maybe you weren't truly looking with lust in its fullest sense, but you were going near the door, right? And if you win those small battles, now we're fighting on a whole new level. And if we're winning at that level, you don't find yourself at the end of the night, you know, in having sweats because you're wanting to look at something on the internet or on your phone. Because you've been killing that every time it comes up. And that's how you have to win. And you, and you, you don't just choose, well, I'm not going to do it. You turn your mind back to that truth. That's where that meditation comes up. Every time there's a temptation, boom. Sometimes it's not even a visual thing, but a, an, an image or a thought, something from your past, whatever, will come into your mind. Or just seemingly from nowhere. Just boosh. That happens to all of us. Uh, you didn't seek it. You weren't trying to dwell on it. Just boom, there it is. That's put it, As soon as it's there, as soon as you recognize put it off, bring your mind back to the truth, and dwell on that truth until the temptation to dwell on that image is gone. And it may come back again. Do it again. Bring your mind back to the truth. Um, so you just get in this pattern where every time there's a danger zone, even things that may not even particularly be sinful, but you know in the past they've kind of started you down the path of thinking about sin. As soon as you see them or recognize them, put it off. Turn your mind away from that. Renew your mind. Dwell on the truth. And keep your mind on that truth until that temptation subsides. And then you will find yourself... 
winning the battle. Something MacArthur says um, that has impacted me is he says, when a man falls, he doesn't fall far. When a man falls, he doesn't fall far. Particularly like if a pastor gives into immorality or something like that. Understand, he wasn't just a great godly man in 30 seconds had an affair, right? There was, there was a long pattern of losing the battle in the smallest of ways that got bigger, that got bigger, that got bigger. And so don't be surprised. How could I have done that? How could I? If you look at your life, there will be a pattern. There will be a crumb trail, right, that goes way back. And that's how I could have done that. I've been giving in to this sin in the smaller ways all day long. And so we have to be very, um, very suspicious of ourselves. Our flesh is very good at finding ways to justify small glances, small thoughts, um, that are danger, 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 right? Last time, you may not remember, but I read from uh, Proverbs 5, and I love that, that he's talking about the adulterous woman. I love that picture where he says, uh, don't go near her door, right? He doesn't, say, he doesn't say just be content not going in inside, but don't even go by her house, that's, that's what I'm trying to apply here with these. I'm not being legalistic. I'm not trying to be a Pharisee. Uh, what I'm trying to do is help you see if you can win those little smallest battles, um, then now you're fighting at a, at a level where you can win and where you're never getting to that point uh, where, the, where you're actually finding yourself at her door knocking at the door. Let's talk about a couple of other. Let's talk about a quick temper. If you struggle with a quick temper, let's let's say uh, example with your kids. Your kid spills the milk, and you raise your voice at your kid. It, it's easy for us to say, "Well, you have an anger problem, and so we need to work on your anger." You you do in one sense, but again, there are other things behind that. For instance, with them spilling the milk, um, are you mad that he spilled the milk, or the fact that you don't have to? you now have to clean it up. Sometimes I find myself frustrated with my kid and I step back and realize, I'm not really frustrated with you. I'm frustrated that I'm having to do this right now. Right? Am I the only one? (laughs) Okay, yeah. Uh, And and then I realize that's another sin that I have to deal with, right? It's not just that I was quick to be too sharp or too hasty. It's that I have to crucify my love for myself and my comfortable little life and my me time in the afternoon <laughs> and my vision of what this was going to be for, till bedtime. And now here I am having to deal with this issue where I have to love my, truly love my child above myself enough to say, I need to slow down. I need to care for them. I need to work with them. A, they spilled the milk. That's not a sin issue. They're a little kid. How many times did I spill the milk? I spilled something yesterday. Um, I'd be kind, love them, serve them. Um, sometimes it's not that you're—it's not that you're mad that they spilled the milk. It's that you're embarrassed because it was in front of the friends you had over for dinner, and, and it, now it's ruined the the image that you thought you had that you wanted them to have you and your family or whatever it is. Um, there, there. I want you to be careful and sensitive to what are those other hidden sins of the heart that are at the the base level, really what's driving what's coming out of my mouth right now. Because often it's not the issue that's right in front of you. It is some other battle that you've lost long before then. And that's where you start asking those questions. 
what was the real issue? What was I really upset about? What was I denied? Was it my evening of peace? Was it my you know, perfect little family I had in my mind? Was it, well, what was it? And crucify that sin, confess that sin, and then begin battling at that level. Okay? So now you know when I come home, I have this temptation to want my evening to be nice and calm and whatever it is. And so on the way home, I have to be turning my mind to truth. Quoting Philippians 2, 3, and 4, you know, do nothing from selfishness or selfish ambition. I've got to consider the needs of my... So begin praying for each of your kids by name and praying for your wife. I don't know what their day was like today. I don't know what she... Help me to be a blessing when I get home. I don't... I'll, God, help me to be interested in my kids' lives and to sit and spend time with them. May they know that I love them and may I be a blessing to them. Now I've turned my mind and I'm fighting at the right level. I'm dealing with my selfishness, which is really the problem. And I come home a whole different day, right? And now, oh, you spilled the milk. That's all right. Let's pick it up together. Let's do that. You know, you, let's, it, it totally changes everything because my eyes aren't on me. They're now on my kids, right? Or on my wife. Same thing. Sometimes you get frustrated with your wife and you say, well, you know, you, it's, it's not what you said. It's the way you said it. You know, you, it was your tone and this, that, and the other. And there's, there's times there's validity to that. We need to be careful in the way we say it. But, but could it be that there was some truth to it that was biting and you took the opportunity to push that aside because she didn't say it well? So now you had something to deal with with her that kept you from having to deal with what it was that she actually brought up? Um, you, you, we have to take ourselves a step back with our wives, if they bring up something to us and say, okay, regardless of how or when it was brought up, is there any truth to what was just said? Even a grain of it that I can confess that I, that, I, that needs to change. Start there, and then we move our way forward. What we often do is start with, well, let's, start, let's talk about the presentation here, okay? Because that's the way you said that at the time, and that was all off. And you know what I'm saying? And, and what we're doing is like, no, 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 back up. <laughs> You know what? You're, I see that. And I'm sorry. I apologize for that. And here's what I need to do to work to change that. We begin there. And then eventually, if legitimately, a lot of times you realize after that, I don't even need to address anything because it was just my sin in the first place. But after doing that, if a, there is a pattern of not bringing up things in the right way, then you can deal with those in a kind, loving way after you've been repentant of whatever it is that was going on. But we like to flip that around the other way. Um, there's several other examples we can deal with. We are bumping up on 7 o'clock. But let me just close up with, with this um, thought. The Bible, memory, and meditation are, I feel like, a dying art. Um, the Puritans did it really well. There have been these, these pockets of church history where it's been emphasized. Um, but I think it is harder for us in some ways because of the kind of culture we live in and the way our brains are trained uh, with social media and things. We're much in the fast. Our, our lives are built around fast, 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 quick, 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 not slow, 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 think long and deep. But guys, we have to. This is the Christian life, right? And, and you may be a slow memorizer. Memorize a verse a month. I don't Meditate on the same verse all month long. It doesn't matter. That's... That's not ultimately the point. The point is to, to know the truth and to use the truth, to meditate on it, to squeeze it for all it's worth, applying it to our lives. And so if you find yourself 
just kind of quoting the verse and, uh, and and not really meditating on it. Remember, that's not that's like putting your hand on the sword without ever drawing the sword and using the sword. You put your hand on the sword and pull it out and use it by going word by word, thought by thought, praying that back to God. That's what biblical meditation looks like. And sometimes that's for an extended period. Sometimes it's for 30 seconds in the middle of your work day as you fight a temptation and you, you think about one word, a quick prayer to the Lord about that one word as you divert your mind from that to the truth and walk in the truth. But it's got to be a part of your life. One tool that I recommend to you uh, is an app that I use. It used to be called Scripture Typer, but now it's called Bible Memory App. Um, I like it a lot. We're actually going to use it for the verses that we uh, put together for our small groups that we'll be memorizing as a church. And uh, it'll pull in the verse for you whatever uh, in whatever translation you desire. And then as you go through it, it has three different levels. The first level is really easy. A lot of the words appear on the screen. And you just type the first letter of each word. If you get one wrong, your phone vibrates and turns red and all those things. You can set it where an electric shock will also be. <laughs> uh, that really is effective. Um, <laughs> uh, then the second level, fewer words appear. Fewer, and then the third level, it's just a blank screen, and you're just typing the first letters. And you just go through that. It's a real quick way uh, to kind of get in the habit instead of, when you have a down moment, you're standing in line somewhere, instead of pulling up Facebook or whatever it is, pull up that app and start working on your verse. Pull it to mind. As you, if you catch yourself, it's 3 o'clock, and like, I haven't, I haven't reset my verse since this morning. What if you try to pull it up, it'll, your mind will go blank. Pull out your phone. Okay, that's what it was. Remind yourself. It's just a great little tool that I'd recommend to you to help um, with our brains that struggle with these things. But anyway, man, that's the process of change. That's how we fight the battle and win. And honestly, I would love our church to have a culture in which, as men especially, we just kind of have a code where we can say, hey, what's your verse today? Uh, and the idea is, in a way of holding each other accountable, that I'm, I'm, for me it's Colossians 3, 4, what about you? It's just not, but that, what we mean is the verse, I'm fighting sin, I'm meditating on the word, and there's just a culture that that's how we live life as believers, because that is how we fight and win. And if we're not doing that actively, then we will find ourselves in trouble. So, I hope that's helpful. Let me pray, and I'll let you guys, let you guys go. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of your word, for the ability to fight sin by the power of your spirit. We recognize that on our own, in our own strength, we, we can't do these things, but you have redeemed us, you have made us new and given us a new nature, uh, and by the power of your spirit, we can dwell on the truth, we can fight and win the battle, and we pray, God, that you would help us in these things to be sensitive to sin, not to justify sin, to be able to get to the root cause of our sin and um, to truly confess it and turn from it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.